Welcome to IdeaGen TV. I'm your host, Ed Reno, and this is a show where we talk about authentic leadership, the purpose and potential between, behind leaders and how they operate within their organizations. Today we have, as our guest, Donald Alway, the Assistant Director of the Federal, Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the division that he leads is the Weapons of Mass Destruction Directorate. Don, welcome. Thank you, Ed. Don, in a town where there are titles that uh, have some pop, Yours is one of the most impressive titles I actually have come across. Can you tell us what you do at the uh, Directorate of WMD? So the WMD Directorate is a relatively new division. It sits inside the FBI's National Security Branch. After 9-11, the National Security Branch was formed, and there is a, a branch within a bureau concept. So it is a, a division that sits alongside counterterrorism and counterintelligence. And together, the three divisions work on some of the nation's most significant Are they housed together for a reason? We talk here at uh, IDHN about collaboration and the power of that uh, collaboration. Is there a reason why you're bunched together? Absolutely. So the, all the operational divisions within the FBI work very closely together. The, the three I mentioned, in addition to the cyber division and criminal division, we have natural connections all across the country, across all different sub-programs. Those three divisions, though, counterintelligence, counterterrorism, WMD, uh, really kind of born out of necessity in different points in time. Uh, the WMD record is 15 years old. Traditionally, those threats that we are responsible to mitigate were managed from those other divisions. Mm -hmm. So post 9-11, we really took a look to see that are we addressing all the gaps in WMD? Uh, there's a the counterterrorism aspect to WMD and the counterintelligence aspect, those were pulled out and placed in one unique division, but still considers ourselves partners to those other divisions. And I would, you know, 9 11, seminal moment in, in, in global history, certainly American history. Um, so I understand that sort of callous. We are obviously now, present day, uh, experiencing a little bit of a swing back to nation state threats. Um, you think of the Russian Ukraine war. Uh, how are you all viewing that sort of conflict, and, and is there a role for the FBI? There is, uh, primarily through our partnerships. So we have provided support, both investigatively, laboratory assistance, evidence collection techniques, training equipment, uh, and joint investigations with a variety of countries around the world that may not have the same experience or expertise that we're fortunate enough to have within the FBI. So there's often requests for mutual assistance uh, in the, both the law enforcement, law enforcement capacity and in our role as members of the community. I see. And so how much of your weight do you put on preventative? And then, as you say, building a case that someone could eventually go to court with. Sure. So we invest heavily into the term uh, arrived from called left ago. So we try to invest in the prevention element that's about building relationships, building initiatives, educating partners, academia, the public about the risk from WD. Uh, when those initiatives, tripwires, and outreach fail, uh, and, and uh, an event is potentially going to happen, we'll initiate an investigation. And unfortunately, when something does happen, then we'll initiate a full response. Uh, again, oftentimes in partnerships with other elements of the FBI and state local and other federal partners. I 
see. And what kind of organization does that take? I would imagine you have a footprint across across the globe. What would your workforce look like, and how's it deployed? So we've got a deputy specialist in every one of our 56 field offices. We also have a variety that sit some sub offices, um, but it is into those domestic specialties. We've got folks situated in key embassies around the world that do very similar world building partnerships, liaison, outreach, training with our partners. And they're kind of a regional resource and they cover a wide swath of uh, territory. Mm -hmm. And they're, I would imagine, teams of these individuals in the embassies, if you will, and uh, in the field offices. Are they subject matter experts? Or how does one, how does one become a WMD sort of proficient Agent. Sure, we refer to them as deputy coordinator. Really, the name says it all. Right? They coordinate the efforts uh, in anything around WMD. They do get certifications that we provide. They, they get an incredible amount of training. They equip them with specific equipment. Uh, but their primary benefit is the expertise they bring as a seasoned FBI agent of uh, conducting investigations, understanding the potential for intelligence gathering, collection, sharing, and building relationships both in the embassies with partner U.S. government agencies and with foreign partners that, that we uh, are fortunate enough to, to be Is there any particular threat that keeps you up right now? Well, of course, uh, you can see what's happening in Ukraine, so things can get from bad to worse quickly. You know, any type of conflict can introduce a lot of countries. Uh, may see that the, the from state sponsored aspect, they may see having a full WD in their stockpiles gives them a certain type of advantage over their adversaries. It also uh, creates a cycle public for um, their adversaries. In, in since we hear about what's going on in Ukraine, um, that we all experience domestically our own sense of, of psychological. Fear back in 2001 from the anthrax scares, which legitimate anthrax did kill uh, in, in a significant number of Americans because more than one uh, is too many. But most people around the country change their pattern of behavior, they have concerns about what they do, where they go. And we're seeing that now around the world that, that countries that espouse to use or possess WMD. I'll look at I see. And, you know, at the higher ranks of the FBI, or the highest ranks of the FBI, where you reside, you have counterparts interagency, I would imagine, that you're working with as well. Um, you talk a little bit about the, 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 the pressure that goes down on a culture, on a society, when they have these threats presented to them. To me, that's a little bit of a, a balance of the emotional, not just the work. What are you trying to communicate, if you will, out to the Americans and to your workforce around this job, this, this work product. I think it's important for us to know that there is an extensive network of agencies uh, and public safety organizations that have incredible capacity to respond and mitigate any one of the threats that we may have been presented. Everything right from toxic chemicals to someone could buy at store and use in you know, small scale attack up to including if there's a threat of an improvised nuclear device or, or dirty bomb that we talk about the fear of dirty bombs. There's a there's a very, very robust and capable response element across the government ready to interdict and 
mitigate that if it were. And that's where you're sort of your residence right now is the leader of this organization. You're constantly, I would imagine, having meetings and discussions not only with their domestic counterparts but all your international counterparts. And there, there's great resources within DHS, within Department of Defense, um, that all work together. We exercise how we manage these threats together, how we bring what to the table. No one agency has, has all the resources. I see. Fascinating. And, and I have to ask, you know, from a movie, I sort of have this idea from the movies, is there a secret lab somewhere where you're thinking through trying to be one step ahead of the bad guys and uh, identifying maybe what the next threat looks like? So uh, we don't do that in a lab, but that does occur often. We, our folks train for what we consider over the horizon threats. As an example, we started looking at the potential for drones, UAS, UAVs to be used as a delivery vehicle years ago before they really became as perfect they are now. So we're looking at areas where how can something that has dual use that exists in our society that's a critical element of, let's say, a sector commercially, how could that be used to deliver some form of WD as a weapon? I see. Uh, one of the powers of IdeaGen, I think we all see, is that there is a collaboration across membership have people from corporate um, all the way down to service-oriented uh, enterprises. Um, so in that vein, how do you work with the private sector? Do you work with the private sector? How Very critical are they to you? Uh, they might be the most critical relationship we have. Most of this country's critical infrastructure is in the hands of the private sector. Our academia, our research, all of that uh, exists in the private sector and not the government. And so our job is to really partner to help educate private sector partners on where risk exists, how we can work jointly to mitigate them in the events of the first, uh, how we can interject and stop. If that's the what and the why, maybe we can go into sort of the who. Um, how did you, is this sort of living your best self right here? I mean, did you sit back a couple of years ago in your career and say, I want to be running the director of WMD? Yeah. Was that your college goal? So uh, I, I don't think I really knew that this was uh, a risk factor, right? I like many Americans, we grow up believing that um, right, that, uh, that these type of threats don't really exist because we don't see them every day in front of us. See that was coming from the anthrax before. We saw the ricin used as an assassination agent in this country. Uh, so no, to answer your question, I began my career in the FBI working uh, against global organizations, primarily the Mexican and Colombian drug cartels, fugitive uh, by crime matters. Really, I was on the criminal investigative side and had very little knowledge of what went on in the security side. That's what we refer to as the other side of the world. So within the FBI, we had uh, two distinct sides. Uh, some work in national security and some work in criminal. But we had partnerships, we didn't have the cohesion we have now. So I was unaware that uh, what this would bring in terms of opportunity and uh, sense of satisfaction. Interesting. And so you started out your career thinking you were going to go get bad guys, drug dealers in this case. Um, how did that then track through to today? I think for a lot of us, 9 uh, 11 was that moment when so many of us left the criminal investigative program and moved into counterterrorism, which was my first migration that, again, is, is a 
made of reference to the deputy director didn't exist at the time. So those portions of the threats uh, were managed by our counterterrorism division. When it came to the actors, the domestic or international terrorists attempted to use required uh, WD. On the other side, if the counterterrorism division managed many of the state-sponsored issues when a country was trying to build the program, we had an interest to try and stop that. So I think my migration came through the counterterrorism side until the formation of the deputy director when I became a leadership role. I see. And was that the immediate leap from counterterror straight to WMD, or were there a few stops along the way? There was one stop in between. I think uh, in my second promotion within the organization, uh, where I served as the unit chief of the WMD immigration unit, mm -hmm. whose, whose responsibility was to build cohesion between the FBI and the CIA. Sitting in their space and blending those two cultures together. Mm -hmm. right here. Yeah, and I think what I was referring to is also, I think at one point you were uh, asked and had the privilege of running the training facility for the sure. FBI. Yeah, uh, describe that a little bit. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Much later in my career, after moving around uh, a few different parts of the country, uh, I was fortunate enough to lead our training division, which sits in Quantico, where our academy and our leadership programs mm -hmm. sit. Uh, probably one of the most rewarding parts of my career of seeing folks show up at the academy ready to serve, leaving oftentimes very good, great jobs to come stand shoulder to shoulder with partners and allies they've never met, but to come in a unified sense of purpose and mission to, to uh, protect the American people and the Constitution. As we explore leadership, that's an interesting place I want to sort of check in for a moment. So you have what I'll call type A's. They must be alphas. Um, uh, certainly very mission-driven, goal-oriented, um, high operators. What's your leadership's sort of style around that type of individual, and how do you sort of instill a sense of purpose and culture um, when you've got some very dynamic, very probably strong individuals? Sure, it really is a team sport. Um, leading leaders is probably the best way to describe it. Well, we have folks that generally they may have come from highly accomplished careers, are successful, and now it's merging that talent, that passion, um, into a common grouping with a shared purpose. So I think my job right, is to hire the right people, support them, arm them with the right um, resources, and let them do what they likely already should have the organization to do and have grown into, which is purpose-driven leaders. I see. And do you find that um, there's any sort of particular skill set for uh, successful agents nowadays? I mean, that may have changed over the many years you've been in the field. I think having people that want to see uh, their own success through the success of the organization. Right? So we, um, we rely on kind of measuring ourselves by some metrics at times. I mean, we're an organization like many others that relies to show our value or back to Congress for resourcing. However, that's not the purpose of why we do what we do. So I think having folks that are survey-based leaders that believe in the power of teams and that want to see success, their own success, measured by how well their subordinates do, those are the type of leadership qualities for looking for on these files. I see. In what, what are the statements that people are coming to the Bureau applicants and uh, are successfully been recruited into the organization? 
patriotism, which is right sense of sense of uh, mission. The, the that being right to protect the fellow citizens, uh, to do good for a living, to leave an organization better than they found it, and uh, a genuine sense of calling. Right? It, it is not a job. It is it is maybe not even a career. It is a calling. There's going to be sacrifices. There's going to be hardships. That all comes with also a very rewarding experience that can't be measured by dollars. There's a push, I think, globally, understandably, to further diversify workforces. Um, does the Bureau have an approach to diversifying its workforce and tapping into the power that comes from absolutely uh, different, different backgrounds and approaches to things? So we're an organization of people. While we use technology to accomplish our mission, there would be no FBI without the people behind it. We can't use systems to replace people really in any uh, in any area. We can use technology to assist people, uh, and so those folks have to have a sense of commitment of belonging. Um, and if we're not reflective of the public we serve, if we don't have folks that understand that the FBI is is theirs, that it belongs to everybody. Um, then we're not, then we're failing the country, we're failing the organization. So, sense of diversity uh, in both the work and the people is critical to our success. Are there programs that you've instituted that you can think of that are, that are making that possible? There are, and I think, you know, we, we look to find ways uh, to engage with people that may not have thought of the FBI as a place for them. So we're going to organizations that have highly accomplished uh, professionals that represent a, a subset of the country that isn't represented well in the FBI. We go to their organizations and we talk about what we are, what we do, and oftentimes I think just those conversations, exposure shows folks that there is a place for everybody. In the I see. And as you look to accommodate perhaps certain sort of lifestyles, um, again, from that diversity standpoint, I think of, for instance, maybe someone who's coming in and wants to have a family, a little work-life balance, and yet you say, understandably, the job's a 24-hour live-it type of job. Is there room for someone who wants to be involved and engaged but may not be able to commit um, the 24-7 work cycle, if you will? Yeah, and we try to, to ensure that our folks take care of themselves. Um, as they take care of the organization. And if we, if we burn out our, our population by working on the hours and schedules. Uh, so we try and have wellness programs and things that involve their families so the families can see what the organization is about and they can feel connected part of the mission. S serving is not one person's responsibility, it's an entire family. I mean, everybody is participating in some form or fashion by being that force behind the equipment. Yeah. By the way, I got a side check on that here. How do you sleep at night, given your role and responsibility? I mean, literally, maybe not even just the emotional aspect of it, but you got to have a 24-7 operation. So we have, uh, I have trust in my team. So I've got uh, unbelievable subordinate staff, and they, I use that term only as a description, right? It is a team environment. So I've got a deputy AD, uh, who runs a component of our operations and our intelligence cadres and then some senior executives 
that run components of our division. I put a lot of confidence in their ability to manage those and to alert me when they need my specific involvement or when something's going to require uh, the deputy director to be advised or to have a larger interagency involvement. Many times, so they have the same trust and confidence in the team and they're able to mitigate threats uh, at various levels. You know, yeah, which at those positions, which I've served in all of them, there's a rotation, right? So somebody is on for a week. It's a tough week, right? You're taking every every call and threat, uh, and then you're off cycle, right? And you're getting some time to take a week of vacation. Um, and we encourage people to take advantage of everything we have to try and keep the balance in check. That's very important, I would think, for sure. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about sort of you've come to this position now, is there a next step or where, where does this all lead? You know, this is, uh, we all talk about, we serve at the pleasure of the director. Mm -hmm. And so there is, uh, you know, when I was asked to take this division over, I was very happy in my little training division. Um, but my responsibility is to serve where needed. And, you know, I, I've been eligible to retire for a period of time. However, uh, I can't think of anything that'd be more rewarding to me right now than to stay in the organization until such time when I age out with a mandatory retirement age. Okay. Well, Don, thank you very much for your time. We greatly appreciate it. And I want to say thank you to the men and women of the FBI um, keeping America safe and protecting, protecting us all. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you, brother.